Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast where we dig into God's Word together and find life through Jesus Christ. My name is Ben Blakey. It's Thursday, the 23rd of July, 2020. I was practically born and raised in church. My dad has been a pastor since I was four years old. So not only was I at church all the time, but we would read the Bible together at home every night. And I'm so thankful that through the influence of my parents, I was well acquainted with the scriptures from my youth. But one thing that I noticed is that when I was a child learning about the Bible, I would develop some very childlike, or maybe I should say childish understandings of various passages. And as I grew up, I would have to realize, um, yeah, this passage didn't mean what I used to think that it meant as a kid. And today we're looking at one of those passages in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. And in this passage, we see the story of Jesus eating at the home of a Pharisee when a sinful woman, that is what she is known as, comes in and anoints the feet of Jesus and weeps over his feet and wets his feet with her tears and wipes his feet with her hair and anoints his feet with this ointment. And the Pharisee responds saying, um... If Jesus were really a prophet, he would know that this sinful woman is not someone who should be touching his feet. And Jesus says to him, you know, kind of tells him a little parable. In verse 41, it says, A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one, which of them will love him more. Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. And Jesus goes on to explain, that's why this woman loves me so much because she has been forgiven much. And she she shows that love much. And that he who is forgiven little loves little. So let me in, let you in on my childish understanding of this passage. It was, well, some people, man, they've got like really gnarly testimonies. You, you know, like before they were saved, they were into drugs or they were in trouble with the law or, or all these other shady things. But then, boom, God saved them. And that's why those people are usually more passionate about their love for the Lord. And then you've got church brats like me over here that, you know, didn't do all of those things before becoming a Christian. And so, you know, if we're a little more stoic or whatever, uh, that's why. Well, if that's what you've ever thought about this passage, just take that understanding, crumple it up and throw it in the trash can. Jesus is not trying to say, yeah, those that were really, really bad, they're going to love me more. But those of you that were all right, uh, you, you might not be as passionate about things. That is not at all what this passage is teaching. In, in fact, I think this passage is, is he's really trying to point out to the Pharisee, not that he's been forgiven little, but that he hasn't been forgiven at all because he doesn't realize that he needs to be forgiven. He has a very much 
holier-than-thou attitude towards this sinful woman. And look again at verse 47 where it says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. And then in verse 48, he says to her, Your sins are forgiven. And the people are saying, how can he forgive sins? And he says to the woman to wrap up the chapter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, that's an amazing passage. Jesus never looks at the Pharisee and says, your sins are forgiven. And so there's a couple things we have to realize here. One, you have to realize you are a sinner who needs a savior whether you were a church brat like me or whether you were fully immersed in drugs and sex and rock and roll in some pagan lifestyle, you need forgiveness. You are a sinner. You have rejected God. You, you have not followed him. We all need forgiveness. That's, that's the first point that we should understand here. And I hope that many of you, if you're listening to a podcast called Revival from the Bible, have realized that. But there might be some of you that have not. If you think reading the Bible and going to church and being a good person is why you are going to heaven, that is not at all what the Bible teaches. The Bible clearly shows we are saved by grace through faith that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's why we need Jesus Christ as our Savior, and he died on the cross for our sin. But for those of you that have realized that and you've put your faith in Christ, the moral of this story is not, well, some of us might love Christ more because of what happened in our lives before we were saved, not what this passage is talking about. What it is saying and the moral of the story for us should be, we should be like this woman because our sins have been forgiven. And if we understand things correctly, we will understand that we have been forgiven much. Our sins were great. Our sins deserved the wrath of God. But in Christ Our sin can be nailed to the cross. It can be dealt with. It can be forgiven. All of us should have hearts overflowing with worship. I mean, for many reasons that we'll see as we, you know, as we read through the Bible together, I hope we see many reasons why we should worship. But one should simply be the fact that we are forgiven. And that we have been forgiven, not because we have earned it, but we have been forgiven because of Jesus Christ, that Jesus looked at us and said, your sins are forgiven. What an amazing thing that we should respond to with extravagant worship, pouring out our love, our thanks, our gratitude for our Savior, that though we deserved hell, now we look forward to heaven and eternity and hope and perfection all because we have been forgiven in Jesus Christ. I hope that stirs up your heart even today as you start a new day to worship God, to thank him, no matter what else is going on, to to remember that you have been forgiven much. Therefore, we should love much our Lord and our Savior. 
Now, the Bible also makes very clear that those of us who have been forgiven, our lives will be changed. That another childish understanding, which Paul even addresses many places in the New Testament, is, sweet, I'm forgiven. I'll just kind of go do whatever I want because it's all about grace. That, again, is not what the Bible teaches. And that is really what we're seeing in the book of Ephesians. We've seen how great the gospel is in chapters 1 and 3, but now we're getting into the so what. What is the application in chapters 4 through 6? And today we're reading the first half of chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Let me show you how that starts. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then verse three really starts to then focus in on a a more specific application. So it starts off saying, hey, we should walk in love. We should be people that are full of love towards others, just like Christ was full of love towards us. But then verse three, he focuses on one thing that we shouldn't do. And he says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. So now he's going to really focus on sins relating to sexual immorality. And he's going to go off now on why Christians should avoid anything of that nature. Verse four, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. He's talking about how serious sexual sin is saying this is something that God is sending his wrath on and those living this lifestyle will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So it's not something that we should do. It's not something that we should think about. It's not something that we should even talk about. And it goes on to even talk about that in verse 12. It says, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. And that's something sexual sin lots of times is is a sin that thrives in the secret, something that is covered up. And that's something as Christians, we don't even want to talk about. Then verse 13 says, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is like God is trying to shine the light and expose sin. And so that's something that all of us should check our hearts in today. That even this specific area of sin And if there's anything in our lives that is not according to the will of God in this, it needs to be brought to light today. If you are listening right now and you are engaging in some kind of secret sexual sin, let these words sober you up. It's because of sins like that, that the wrath of God is coming. This is deadly serious. And what you need to do today is to bring that into the light. 
And, and you might say, well, no, there's, there's nothing like that in my life. This is a good chance for all of us to check our hearts that the standard is, man, let's n- let, not even let it be named among us. Let, let's make sure it's not in our thoughts. Let's make sure we're not talking about it or looking at it or thinking about it in any way that, that, that we should not. And this is something, again, our culture is so saturated in sexual immorality that as Christians, we are going to have to fight to keep our minds, to keep our thoughts, to keep our eyes away from things of this nature. And it'd be a good check for all of us today to think about that in our own lives and to pray that God would purify our hearts, that he would turn away our eyes from worthless things, that He that he'd put, put a door over our lips to keep us from saying anything foolish or crude or inappropriate, and that we would live holy lives, not to earn forgiveness, but because we have been forgiven much. I love how it ends there in verse 14. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And I think that sums up the first two passages today so well that Christ will shine on us. And that includes forgiveness, washing away our sinful record, but it also includes that he will purify us. The light will take over our lives. And may we celebrate the forgiveness of God today and also seek the purity of God today. Well, now let's quickly turn to the Old Testament. And today in 2 Chronicles, we read chapters 10 through 12. So Solomon has now died. And his son is now going to take over the kingdom. And what we see in chapter 10 is that just as soon as he takes over the kingdom, he loses the kingdom. And this is when the kingdom gets torn in two. And there's a northern kingdom of Israel and then the southern kingdom of Judah, which that will be the focus of the rest of Second Chronicles. It will focus on the kings of Judah in Jerusalem, of which Rehoboam will be the first. But in chapter 10, we see what happens that all of Israel gathers together and they basically say, hey, can you kind of ease up that Solomon worked us pretty hard? And then Rehoboam, he goes and he takes counsel in verse in verse six, it says he took counsel with the old men who stood with his father, Solomon. And they said, hey, listen to the people here and they will serve you. But. In verse 8, it says he abandoned the counsel the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. And they say, yeah, talk tough to act like you're real bad. Say, you think Solomon was tough. Wait until you get a load of me. And he, that's what he listens to. And that's what he does. And the northern tribes of Israel They leave and they say, we're done. And they follow King Jeroboam. And that's when the kingdom is split. And that's a good check for all of us. Who are you listening to? Are you listening to wise counsel that comes from godly and many times older men? Or are you just listening to people that are telling you what you want to hear? It's a good reminder. And then in chapter 11, we, we do see Rehoboam listening to God, establishing his kingdom. But chapter 12 tells a much sadder story where it says in verse 1, when the rule of Rehoboam was established and when he was strong, he abandoned the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. And then it tells that in light of that, a king of Egypt named Shishak comes up and 
wreaks havoc in Israel. And, and, and that's a sad story that we read today in Second Chronicles. We want to close today with our psalm in Psalm 88. Psalm 88, we're going to read the first half, verses 1 through 7 today. And this can this is a, a darker psalm. Look at verse 3. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. I mean, he's in a dark place. And if you're listening to this today and you're in a dark place, I want to point you to verses 1 and 2, where it says, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. If you feel like you're in the depths today, look up to God, cry out to him, uh, call on Christ and he will shine on you. Call on the one who offers forgiveness. Call on the one who can change our hearts and our lives. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.